Welcome to the Dr. Me First podcast with me, your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. Erin Wiseman. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Dr. Me First. You're with me, your little bit classy, little bit sassy, always smart-assy host. Dr. Aaron Wiseman. So glad that you're back joining me today. I have another fabulous interview with Dr. Jill Weiner, and her word is meditation. You'll see why in the conversation why she specifically picks meditation, but as a little sneak peek, let me just tell you, she went from a total badass internal medicine hospitalist position to now running meditation retreats and helping other physicians and people in healthcare deal with their burnout using the strategies that helped her. I'm so very proud to lift her up, to throw her out into the world and the message that she's doing and to support her in any ways possible. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when we get into the self-help world, it feels a little sticky, uneasy for our science brains. But as you see in this conversation with Jill, she's totally in our lane and yet using these techniques to totally rock this world. So check out our conversation and then stick around afterward for that kick of encouragement. All right, here we go. Welcome to Dr. Me First, Dr. Jill Weiner. Thank you so much for coming on. Tell the people all about yourself. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm so excited to be here. I am, uh, I was a hospitalist for 10 years. I grew up in Atlanta and did my training at Emory and did internal medicine at University of Washington. And then I got hit by burnout in 2011. And this meditation practice found me. And I was never the type of person that would have thought I'd become a meditator or that one could even become a meditator. And I was always super skeptical, but I heard this man give a talk and he was offering a course and I was like, I know I need to do this and I don't understand why. And so I learned to meditate and it really, really helped me with my burnout. That's like the beginning of the story and so much more. And then a couple years in decided I wanted to, I was happy back at work and I'm being pretty productive academically and decided I wanted to become a teacher uh, in this meditation practice. And so went to a three month teacher training in India. And then somewhere along the line decided, um, I had the chance to move to China before my teacher training in India. So that's why I left my hospitalist job and I went to China for a little bit. And then I moved to India to do my teacher training and then decided I wanted to move back to the U S and, um, teach doctors to meditate because it's so powerful and it does so much for stress. I knew I really wanted to bring the, the skills that I had learned to a community that I think really, really needs it. Hell yes, we need it. We need all sorts of goodness in our life. So 2011, totally crispy with burnout. Is that about the same time that you found meditation or did it take a little while? No, that was about it. It started like in August and I happened to have a spa vacation book with my, with my, uh, two of my med school friends. And I did a little, they had a little mindfulness with horses program there. And I was like, this, I, I didn't want to do it. I got kind of dragged into doing it um, by this hippie couple that I met in the pool and uh, my friends wouldn't go with me, but I went and it was really awesome. And, and I was like, wait a minute, maybe there's another world out there. And then I went back to my life feeling rested from the, rich, uh, the spa. And then like a week and a half later I was burnt out again because nothing had really changed. And, um, and then two, I think it was about two months later is when I 
heard about my teacher, my, my soon to be teacher and, and, and learned to meditate. So it was right around that time. And then when was it that you transitioned away from the, you went to China away from your hospitalist job? Um, I left at the end of 2015. So about four years after that is, is when I left um, to move to China and then do my teacher training. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I'm just asking one, cause I'm like wrapping my brain around it, but two, I'm also thinking for like, people who are like, yeah, I was a hospitalist and now I'm a meditation teacher like that. People like, don't think that it happened overnight. Like this was definitely a process for you. Yeah, it was a process and I never intended for it to happen. I, I just like literally when I decided to become a meditation teacher, the first thing that I thought of was like, if I go do this teacher training, then I'll be perfect. <laughs> it's going to like fix me and I won't have any problems and all my relationships will be healthy. And I always thought I'll come back to Chicago and I'll like work at like, you know, 0.5 FTE as a hospitalist and like also happen to teach meditation. I never ever envisioned that I would leave medicine because you just don't, I didn't even know you could. And I actually met somebody, a friend of a friend who was a, um, an internist, uh, a gay internist in Atlanta in the nineties. And he ended up doing a ton, just by default, a lot of HIV medicine and AIDS medicine and he was amazing. And then he just was like, you know what? I'm going to become an artist now. And then he started painting watercolors and stopped practicing medicine. And so for me, I was like, it was a very small little detail, but he was the first person that I had met that like left the paradigm. You know what I mean? That just, the, that just kind of did something that, that the I The little unicorn know. that got away. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that just planted a little seed. And I never, I honestly never expected it. Um, and then when I was in India, it was very clear to me um, that I'm, my job in this world is to help other healthcare professionals love their jobs and be really good at them and be happy and help their patients in the best way possible um, so they don't get to the point where I got. Even, you know, and it worked. I was, yeah, amen. 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 <laughs> we're, we're raising our hands for anyone who's uh, yes. listening. We are, yes, I am doing the Jesus praise you. Amen. Because it's so true. Like, that's why I think where I came to my point too, is like, I was like, okay, if I can't be the person in the front, you damn well better believe I'm going to be the support staff. And that yeah. was like my whole meaning for being a life coach being like, no, I can't be the trauma surgeon. Like that's not in me. It's not in my, for my fibers, but you damn well better believe I'm going to be that the, you know, the brag bitch behind her, pushing her and helping her and keeping her strong so that she can do her job and do that. And I think it's amazing as meeting you and so many other women in this arena that it's like, yeah, it's fun. This is, this is what it's supposed to be about. It's not a one woman show. Like we are in it together and just learning all the different things. So awesome. Well, I love it. Well, your word today is meditation. So for anybody who couldn't figure that out, so we'll jump into that now. I, and you kind of explained why you picked meditation, but what specifically did you want to bring to the conversation today talking on meditation? You know what? I didn't know until just this second. I didn't know you're going to ask me that question. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about meditation. People think meditation is the like, you know, sit with your back straight up, legs crossed, fingers doing, yeah, the, exactly what you're doing. Fingers in the mudras, clearing your mind, controlling your mind. And most people, when they come to me, they're like, and, and this is what I thought too. They're like, um, I'm too broken to meditate. My brain is too active. I can't clear my mind of thoughts. I'm never going to be, I, I can't meditate. Like that's for other people. 
And um, what I teach is totally like 180 from that. And you sit comfortably and you let your mind wander. You want your mind to wander. And all the thoughts are great. We don't care what they're about. It doesn't matter at all. Um, we don't use any effort. We sit with our back supported in the chair and daydream. And, but it's, you know, got a technique. It's actually a real meditation and it's incredible. And, and when people learn, I love it when I teach doctors too, because they're like, wait, this is, this is why like this, I know we're supposed to be recommending it or like theoretically doing it, but I've been missing the, like the link between what I'm supposed to be doing and what I'd actually be doing or why I'd actually enjoy it. And so part of what I do is education and just teaching people what meditation, how it's different from mindfulness and what some of the benefits are and, and that anybody can do it. It's not some unaccessible thing that only like people with flowing hair or in the, a meadow uh, can do. Size, size zero in their white yoga pants that they never yeah. get stands on. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they don't ever eat chocolate, you know, or they drink caffeine. Or or drink caffeine, exactly. Or indulge in Netflix, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> as we get into our biases of what true meditators are. And so, you know, my audience who's listening out there are primarily um, female physicians. We actually do have some male colleagues that have started listening in, which is super exciting. Awesome. I love that. And so if they're like me, well, actually, I'm just going to say what I think. So, you know, before, let's say like five years ago, yeah, meditation was exactly that for me. Like, I, I can't do that. Like, I'm too high of a functioning individual. I don't have time to take five minutes just to like clear my mind. And plus, my mind never clears, never clears. Right. And so for us, like super type A personalities who are listening to your amazingness talking about um, doing meditation, like what would be the first thing that you would say to all of us? I would say the first thing I would say is that just like the heart beats, the mind has thoughts. So for us to ever expect our mind to have stop having thoughts is barking up the wrong tree and no wonder everyone's getting frustrated. So that, that would be the first thing. Um, and the second thing I would say is meditation is a physiologic, physiologically based high performance tool. And it's great for the type A people. It's great for the high performers, the, the high achievers, because it actually makes you function more efficiently and it actually gives you more energy to do things better. And it gives you more creativity and it, it ramps up your intuition and that, that voice that's like, try this, try this. And then there's that other loud voice that's like, you suck. No one will listen to you. Why bother? You won't make enough money. That voice starts, we are able to turn the volume down on that because we're activating the right side of our brain, which is our intuition. And so that voice that's telling you that you can't meditate, we're not going to, we're, we're going to start, start our path towards not listening to it as much, or at least giving ourselves an option of another voice to listen to. So meditation can be like super woo woo if you want it to be, but it also really is just like sit in your office with your eyes closed for the 20 minutes and you will get the benefits no matter what. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I have a soapbox. I was just on it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And that's why I brought you on because I wanted to hear all about your soapbox, you know, and what I've yeah. learned in the last five years of doing wellness and, and there's just so many forms of it. And so like, I'm an active meditator. I do it best when I'm walking or trail running. Mm 
And I know a lot of runners are the same way, you know, they, you know, kind of getting that like brain flow. Um, yeah. Other things I recently started, um, a guided meditation, but it's not headspace. Cause I, I, I can't, I just can't, I can't root into headspace. It's just not my jam, but one where it's like, it's like Lord of the ring meets Harry Potter. She does these guided meditations and it's so fun to like go into this like imaginary space where you like, you know, those books when you were a little kid and you got to like, if you want choice a go to page 10, if you want the character to go to go to page 26. And so that's what I feel like I'm doing again with this like guided meditation stuff. And then the other thing that I started to realize, so um, I'm an athlete and even as a really young child, So I was an athlete in the 90s when uh, sports visualization started really coming into play and like I was a swimmer and a runner and so like going through your events prior to the actual meet was starting to catch up and that to me is a form of meditation and visualization as well. So besides that kind of what I know help expand my view on other forms of meditation. Yeah um so the technique I teach is called conscious health meditation. It's from the same tradition as Vedic meditation or transcendental meditation. And we're not, there's no guided anything. There's no visualizing anything. Um, we're using a mantra. Uh, the mantra we use is a Sanskrit sound. That's like, uh, like a sound of nature, like crash or boom or pop, but it's Sanskrit and it doesn't have any meaning. And the way it works is based on the way the sound vibrates in our mind. Mm-hmm. And that brings us into this physiologically distinct measurable state of consciousness that is two to five times more restful than sleep. So by using the mantra, using the technique of, uh, of the meditation, um, we are bringing our body, we're maximizing our parasympathetic activity and maximizing our body's ability to get rest, which then sets off chemical reactions that shift us to parasympathetic and actually repair damage done from stress. So we are actually trying to do as little as possible. And the guided visualizations are awesome. And I'm a lover of all things meditation, but this is not using any effort or concentration to go on a journey with your mind. You, our motto is do less, accomplish more, do least, accomplish, accomplish most, do nothing, accomplish everything. So the less you try, the more you're kind of like swimming along, swimming with the current, uh, of your brain rather than fighting against it. And that's actually doing physiologic changes in your body that you can't do unless you're physically at rest with this type of meditation. So, um, so one of the things that I love is that this, the course that I teach, it teaches people to be self-sufficient meditators. So they don't need anything other than a place where, yeah, with their, you know, with their back supported, they need the instruction and, and on how to do it. And then they're, self-sufficient. And I do provide a lifetime of support for my students, but they have everything they need at the end of the course. So it's, it's pretty, I I like it in that sense too, is that you don't need headphones or a room with padded walls and crystals and Enya and, or an app or anything. You are a traveling meditation studio. Well, I think that helps reinforce like with coaching for me is you have all the answers within you. And I love your form of meditation of being like, everything you need is within you. And Lord knows 
we all have crazy sympathetics. Like we all need more parasympathetics in our life. I recently started going back just because I'm such a total nerd. Like I was pulling out old um, texts that I had from medical school because my goal is like to read them and then legit throw them away now. Like, cause they're old. They they need to be gone out of my house, but I have such an emotional attachment. I told my husband, I'm like, okay, I'm going to like look through them one more time and then we can get them going. But anyway, but being a DO, you know, that's huge in our training, talking about sympathetics, parasympathetics, like, um, you know, osteopathic principles, all that kind of thing. And that's one thing that I've really clued into and in just hearing you talk. I'm just so excited to hear another physician talking about like, hey, the science is real in these things that we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember when I was, you know, 2011 burnt out me, went to go hear my teacher speak, who was, he used to be a yoga teacher and he used to be a model. like, like, I didn't pay attention to it. He's this beautiful man though. And I was like, he's just like the guy that's talking. And he was talking about this concept of adaptation energy, which is your bank account of patience. And if you have enough of it, you can adapt to anything that happens in your life. And if you don't, that's when you have a fight or flight reaction. And that could be when your kid, you know, pees on the floor or your co coworker sends you an email that you don't like, or your patient's CAT scan gets canceled, whatever it is. If you don't have enough adaptation energy, that's your threshold. And you're, in the throes of fight or flight. So he's talking about it. And I was like, that explains everything. That explains why I feel like I'm always about to burst and why I'm always about to break. And I often am, you know, bursting into tears. And I was like, okay, so this guy, this like model yoga teacher, now meditation teacher is helping me understand my physiology and my day-to-day experience better than I can with all my fancy medical training. Cause I was like, so ready to write this guy off. I went to the, the talk, but I wasn't like thinking I was going to pay him a bunch of money to learn to meditate and become a meditator. I was like, yeah, whatever. Like I'll just go here and then I'll, I'll be too smart and too fancy and then I'll leave. Um, so it's, it's fascinating to me that there's this ancient wisdom that like gets it, you know, and it, it's, it, 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 I signed up for the course because I was, I kept waiting to write him off and nothing nothing jumped out at me or nothing, uh, everything jived with, with what I knew medically. And so I was like, all right, well, it sounds like it kind of makes sense. I'm going for it. But, um, yeah, it's all there. It's all, yeah. You know, and that's one thing that I've really enjoyed on my journey. Like when I was in my twenties, you know, medical school was all about like being the smartest, getting all the knowledge. And now I feel like it's so different and being like, no, now it's like integrating into everything else that's around us because there is a total integration of medicine into our own lives that I I think sometimes we build walls up. Like you said, I'm too smart for this. I am too professional for this. I'm too educated for this. I recently... I like a little bit of woo-woo in my life. I, I'm still like working on my woo-woo threshold at times. <laughs> and so I recently did, I was, went to a, a woo-woo thing and I was the same way. I was like, this is going to be stupid. Why did I do this? They're probably going to burn the sage and I'm going to have an anaphylactic reaction. And you know, I got so much out of it. And it's yeah. just, I just keep reminding myself of the integration is what is important. Not that I know all about the vagus nerve and where it runs and you know all of that but what does that damn nerve do and why is it so freaking important in our lives and how does it show up yeah yeah and it's yeah i mean i i think that we are sort of trained to tear everything apart that comes our way to just dissect it and to to be ruthless in terms of 
does it does it meet our standards or not? Which I think is in, in medical training we're taught this, and I think that's great. But I think we're also taught that we have to know everything, that we're supposed to know everything, and then the patients think we're supposed to know everything, and then when we don't, it's like, well, we got to come up with some medical something to solve it. But there's not always there's gray areas in between that. I feel like sometimes are not so well addressed by the medical training, at least that I received. And I found that really frustrating. And so I think there's a whole other world out there that we can integrate into our medical knowledge that can help. It's not, it's not a, it's not a threat. It's a relief to be like, I have options for you and they don't involve anything I'm trained to do here. I'm still at some point going to create a course for doctors. It's like a woo education and it's, going to be like, here's all the different woo-woo modalities and why they're good and, and how you can use them. That's, that's, you know. Yeah. With your, your letter A, B and C recommendations. I would yeah. love that. <laughs> you need to have like a little handbook that can go on our white coat. So that like, when we get that like crazy cat lady in front of us, we can be like, and you know, she's wearing her essential oils and, and has whatever kind of crystals in her purse. You can like pull it out and be like, well, I don't do this, but I have a doctor colleague who says, that's amazing oh my god the class recommendations yeah i'll have to just create a whole new class of recommend like a whole new staging rating structure because it'll be very different but yeah it's just evidence-based obviously is you know legit and it's what we want to do but there's other times too where there's other other types of evidence, I think, and, and just having, it's experiential, a lot of it. Yeah, and I was going to say, I think it's experiential, and I think that we discount our own intuition so many times. Like, sometimes when you see a patient, you're like, I think we probably need to give X antibiotic instead of what is typically given, because I think this is what's going on. Or, you know, like when you walk into a room and you like smell and you're like, oh, I know what that is. You know, yeah. like there's a key component that when right. we try to like strip that all away and just go straight with protocols and evidence-based medicine, like you miss the human component. And I'm sorry, we take care of people. They don't follow the rules. Right. Yeah. And I was also just realizing, remember they told like, everyone's talking about like, go back to the bedside and do the exam. But did you get, my brain was filled with, with stuff that physical exam isn't sensitive anymore. And that like, all these physical exam maneuvers are not very helpful. Therefore we have the imaging to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you just told us to stop doing the physical exam as much because it's not going to be sensitive or specific or any of it's going to be, you know, maybe sensitive, but not specific. But now you know, it's just like, it, I think culture is, is medical culture is, is pulling us in so many different directions. We're missing that human, that humanity, but at the same time, there's the, some of the science part is pulling us a, away from that, but then we're missing the big picture, I think. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's when I think you just have to eventually step back and be like, all right, this is what works for me. And this is yeah. how we're going to do it kind of thing. Exactly. And that I think comes with just being assured of yourself and also your practice of medicine. And that's something they don't talk about when you're in training. I didn't feel like I heard that, that, you know, the, the unassuredness or the uncertainty never goes away. You just become more assured within yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's an, I like that. I like that. I mean, like, when do you become a master clinician? Is, Is it when you become like a white man with gray hair? Like, 
at what point, you know, like who are those? When they hand you the gold watch at your hospital? Like, yeah, when is that? When do you become a master physician? Because we all know we all got our diplomas and then we're like, oh shit, things are getting real in July. You know, we're going to residency and then you get out of residency or fellowship and then you're like, oh shit, now I got my big girl job. Like, what do I do now? Yeah. So yeah, that's, it is fascinating. That'll be a question for our listeners. When do you think you become a master clinician? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And when I remember one of my, my first weeks as an attending, um, in Chicago and I was like, well, what do you guys want to talk about for attending rounds? And my resident was like, uh, I don't know. You're the attending. Why don't you like, tell us something? Then you're like, oh shit, I got to do that. I will come up with the topic. You know, recently mm-hmm. with the students I've been working and this is totally off topic, but the students I've been working with, they are less about like hardcore medical topics. And actually like in two weeks, I'm giving a talk on microaggressions, like when they come from mm-hmm. your patients. And then also for these students, like when they come from your attending, like being a female in medicine, I've definitely had a lot of microaggressions and examples that I can bring up. Yeah. And um, talking and they wanted to know, like, how do I handle that? Like, who do I tell? Do I just tell my attending that's not appropriate? Do I contact the school? Like, how do we do this? So I feel like that's what the training I really wanted. So it's really exciting for me to now be at the point to be like talking to these other students on topics that they are just like craving. Yeah. Not evidently like pancreatitis and all the hundred reasons how you get it. Tina. I can still do that, by the way. Can you? I still have like nightmares that I'm at work and like getting yelled at by attendings or whatever. It's really funny. Like I'll have these dreams where I'm like, I'm on consults and I'm like in a part of the hospital I've never been in. And I still have like 16 patients to see and it's four in the afternoon. And that, that doesn't necessarily go away, but I'm like, I could still give a pretty damn good lecture on, on kidney failure. Yeah. And maybe even antiretrovirals. Like I could well, just. I think you, yeah. Speak to that a little bit more because I think there's so many women who are like, if I leave medicine, then I won't be relevant. And it's like, you'll always be relevant. You're a doctor. So talk about yeah. that a little bit. Um, well, my medical knowledge isn't as relevant really because I don't use it. And when people ask me about it now, I really don't want to engage because I, I'm not practicing. But I think having an MD and having had the experience that I had, it's a privilege, you know what I mean? And it, it's a privilege to be a doctor, but it's also like, I'm allowed, I can interact in the world in a different way because of my MD. Mm-hmm. And I can get away with talking about meditation in a way that, that a lot of other people, I can get more people to listen to me because of that. And I, yeah. I am Then the very, little barista at Starbucks who finished one semester of college. I mean, it it does garner some respect and and it is an honor to have that degree and to take care of the people that are in our past. I think so many people just get fearful, like, well, who am I without the job? So everything. So many, I felt like I was, I don't know if you ever had this. I was talking to someone about this. People used to ask me like what my hobbies were or like on a, like, you know, internet dating or whatever. It's like, what are your hobbies? And I was like, F you, I don't, I don't have time for hobbies. Like I've spent most of my life, my adult and teenage life, like moving towards becoming a doctor and working all the time. And some people naturally have hobbies. I never really felt like I did. And so I, I was like, yeah, I love practicing medicine, but there's also nothing else I'd ever wanted to do that I ever thought I'd be good at. So there's a whole world out there of stuff to do and be excited by. But when you're spending all of your emotional energy and physical energy in survival mode, it's really hard to 
to know what else there is out there. And, and, and so I think that life outside of medicine, even if you stay in it, there's still so, I mean, my goal is not to like get good people to leave medicine. My goal is not to get anybody to leave medicine, but, but to realize there's a whole world that can, that it can open up. And that identity is weird. It's, I never was into people calling me doctor outside of the hospital. And even when I got to be an attending at the hospital I trained at, everyone, all the nurses call me by my first name, but where I moved in Chicago, there was none of that. Everyone was calling me Dr. Wiener. Like then eventually you kind of get used to it. And then there's this little like sense of entitlement that comes with that too. And I've never really felt all that comfortable with that. So I don't know, but it's, it is weird to think that like, here's another point. Have you met the world of doctor haters yet? Yeah, a little bit. Distrust the medical system. And it's a large group of people and they have, I think a lot of them very valid points. I mean, we're not getting, this isn't like an anti-vax back. Like that's like a whole other Pandora's box, but there's a lot of people. I, I remember I went on this um, Pilates retreat. This is before I learned to meditate. So this was probably like 2009, 2008. And I was like, I'm a doctor. And they were like, Oh, <laughs> you know, and it was the first time where I was like, okay. So there's a world out there where people, people don't necessarily respect this profession. And I think we get kind of enclosed in this little bubble um, where everything we say is law is law and, and, you know, the word of God. And uh, it's just, it's interesting to be exposed to people who, who don't feel that way. And I don't remember what made me bring that up, but it, it is, there is some sort of privilege that comes with it, but there's also a little bit of a, like a lot of people who have been very, are very jaded by their experience with the Western medical system, I think. Yeah. Well, and it's just a good point you bring up too. Like, it's okay if not everybody likes you, be right. it in medicine or if you go do something different, uh, a side hustle or you leave medicine, like, oh, well, at the end of the yeah. day, the only opinion that matters is yours and whoever you deem appropriate to matter. Right. And so, yeah, I think it's a really good point for us to, to remind each other, like, this is, each of us live our own life. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so excited for you, the work that you're doing with meditation. Um, you're bringing such fundamental change to healthcare through your work, through, through being able to be like, I'm a doctor and this really does help and being an advocate for it. So yeah. if we have any listeners who are like, God damn, Jill is the bomb.com. I need to go hang out with her. I need to go to her amazing meditation retreats. I need this shit in my life. Where do they need to go? So funny you should mention that. Um, I am doing a retreat for women in healthcare uh, October 1st through 6th. That's going to be at Miraval Spa in Arizona. And so that is registration is, uh, should still be open. And uh, by the time this airs, um, so, and I'll be teaching my course there and doing a little mini talk or lecture every night on the tradition, the, the body of knowledge that my tradition comes from is the Vedas. So I'll be talking about Vedic knowledge as it pertains to life as a woman in healthcare. It's going to be awesome. Amazing food and yoga and all the other things that you'd ever want to do at a spa. That's all included. And then so that you can go to meditationinmedicine.com. That's my website under retreats. There'll probably be something on the, on the homepage about that. Spots for that are pretty limited. So I don't want to have like a million people there. I, I want it to be a very intimate experience. And then my social media, my Twitter is at Jill Wiener MD and it's W E N E R. And that's my Instagram as well. Yeah. I think we will get all of that in the show notes for everyone. And I've already like done a sneak peek on your meditation retreat. And I was already telling my husband, so my kid's birthday is October 5th. And I'm like, 
Yeah, um, I think I'm skipping this birthday. <laughs> I was like, this looks amazing. Just the schedule that you have up on it, the different topics, learning about this form of meditation seems so much more natural than just everything that I've been exposed to. And plus it's in such a beautiful place, all yeah. the pictures on there and just how phenomenal that looks. And the great thing is all inclusive, like all inclusive. you can't beat that. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly not like inexpensive because it's Miraval. It's like one of the nicest spas known to man, or at least known to me. But, um, and that's actually the spa I was at when I did that mindfulness program all those years ago. This Miraval is where I was when I like my- Your full my, circle. My veneer got cracked a little bit and, and there was just a little bit, a, a little crack in my skepticism. Uh, and I'm, I'm hiring the guy who does that program, that mindfulness program. I'm hiring the man who created that program to do that with our group, like a private session for our group. So, so thank you. I'm glad you think it looks awesome. And there's actually, now that you mentioned it, there are two options. There's a four night option and a five night option. So it goes from the first through the fifth or the first through the sixth. Yeah. Um, so there's an, an added extra night if you'd like to stay that's like not that much more expensive so I, I've, I've included that for people so yeah it, it's going to be awesome Miraval is heaven on earth the food's incredible and there's spa treatments you can experiment in some of their woo woo that they've got there we can just hang with your sisters in medicine. I think exactly. that is so much important is the community and the collegiality and all of that. So any of my people out there listening, if you're thinking about doing it, you need to message me and we will get a group all together and get our asses out awesome. to Arizona. That would be awesome. I did um, the, the transformed um, mastery retreat with Marjorie Stiegler. That's another project I'm involved in. And that program is like intense. It's like, you know, four or five nights, but you're working kind of a lot because it's a major, major personal development thing. And it's incredible. This is not that. This is, you know, the, I'm, we're, we're going to be doing that again in January, but this is focused on relaxation and regeneration. And yes, the meditation will help you with all these things, but it is designed to have lots of free time and lots of time for just you. doing nothing. Someone was like, no one has any unscheduled time ever. <laughs> I want some unscheduled time. And I'm like, that will be there on the retreat. So great. Well, thank you so much for coming on Dr. Me First, for Thanks schooling for us on meditation, for sharing uh, bits of your story and your life. It's just so inspirational. And I'm just so honored to have you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. And I'm glad that I had a chance to to get to speak with you. And I'll, I'll thank you for the whole rating system. That's going to like stick with me forever. My, my recommendations of the, the class. A. You just got coached, baby. So good. <laughs> Told ya it wouldn't disappoint you. Thank you so much again, Jill, for coming on the Dr. Me First podcast, for just laying out your story and your heart and sharing what you're doing. I know that I am just so inspired when I hear other female physicians who have gone off the beaten path and tried something different. And one question that I want to pull out for this kick of encouragement today was the question of when do you become a master clinician? I've really sat and thought with that question quite a bit because I think that it translates in so many other areas of our lives. For instance, like when do you become a master of motherhood? When do you become the master of your own life? When can you say you are a completely successful and accomplished athlete? And I think those measures are all different for each one of us. 
And yet, at the same time, I think about it, I don't know that we ever can complete full mastery because each day brings new challenges. You know, there's a lot of talk about imposter syndrome. And I think that actually has a tie when you're talking about mastery because part of imposter syndrome is feeling like you're never enough or that, you know, you're hiding and everyone else around you is better than you. And I think it's more or less just recognizing that I don't have it all figured out, but I do know what I know and that is completed up to a certain level. So I ask you, like, what would be your answer to when do you become a master? I used to think it was when I could answer all the questions correctly on the test, or I could treat every patient and have no complications and only wonderful outcomes, 100% on all of those core measures. But now I realize that that's not the measurement for mastery. I think it goes back to our own experience and the experience of others. When you know that you're truly helping and guiding and supporting someone else, I think maybe at times, even early in our careers, we were masters at things and perhaps we lost a little bit along the way. I think as we continue gaining more knowledge, we're reaching a newer level of mastery. All in all, I guess there is no right answer to this question. And that's what makes it such a fun question to roll around. So let me know what you think. When is it that you become a master clinician? When is it that you become a master of anything? And is it achievable? Or have you already achieved it and you just continue to keep modifying it? Well, I hope that you know that I think that you're absolutely amazing. I think you're an inspiration. I'm so encouraged to have each and every one of you who downloads. And yes, I'll be perfectly honest. When I launch these episodes, you better believe I check the numbers every single day. And you know what? I actually send some good energy to you. If it says 52 downloads, or if it says 100, or if it says, you know, one download, I look at that one download and I thank you. So I don't know who all of you are, but I want you to know that I'm sending loving and caring energy for you. And if you need more of that in your life, please check out the show notes. Click on the button where it says colleague to colleague call. I promise how I show up here on this podcast is exactly how I show up on a phone call with you. And I would love to encourage you, to inspire you, to help you, to motivate you, Maybe to pass over a little hope and joy into your life because I believe in you. So in closing, always remember, my friend, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. Bye.